Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Peristyle Podcast. This is episode number 29, and it is our first in-season episode, the post-Virginia episode of the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to be getting to all of that. We have a great show lined up for you today. Uh, before we get going, I just want to let people know, if you have a question, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, and we'll do our best to answer We're having a new promotion where the best question that we answer every week, we're going to send that user a free T-shirt. So send us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll send you a USC T-shirt. So anyway, in our first segment, I want to talk to the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, how are you doing today? Ryan, I'm going to say, hold on a minute. I want to send it a question. Yes. Oh, you, you want a T-shirt? Yeah, I want to get that USC shirt. I, I think you're ineligible. You're an employee of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, okay. That's okay. We'll send you one anyway, Coach. Just cause, uh, okay, I'll tell you what. It, it's great. We're into, co- we're into college football. and I went uh, without all these wow games over this past weekend. I call them wow games. When you look at the scoreboard, you said, wow, Fresno State 24, Rutgers 7, and all those type of things. And, of course, SC's impressive win down at Virginia has vaulted them now into the number one spot, the number one team in the country. So there's so many things to talk about and so on. Uh, and I'll tell you, tickets are getting harder and harder to get. So we might as well tell them about Southern California ticket service, huh? Definitely. Southern California tickets. you got that big matchup with Ohio State coming up on September 13th. If you don't have tickets for that, you need to be at that game if you're a Trojan fan. Go to sctickets.com or call one 800 888 7287. Curtis over there at Southern California Tickets has plenty of tickets for the USC Ohio State game. Check them out. Coach and I, we always check them out when we need tickets, and uh, you should too. I agree with you. And do you mind if I tell some uh, some of our listeners or all of our listeners about something we're going to have at the Rose Bowl this weekend? Sure, certainly, Coach. What do you got? Let me, let me tell you why, because this is something that, that I think people would really want to go to. UCLA has a buy, USC has a buy. And a lot of people have always wondered, what's it like in the locker rooms at the Rose Bowl? What's it like to be on the field in the Rose Bowl and look up at the press box in the crowd? What's it like to run on the field? What's it like to be in the media room? What do the media people gather after the game and before the game and write their stories? And what's it like to be in the press box and walk around the press box and look down at the field? Well, we're having, and I call we are, I am helping uh, put together the third annual College Football Saturday where you get your VIP pass to the Rose Bowl media room. That's where we're going to have a great big tailgate party in there. We're going to have food from the Burger Continental. We're going to have big screens all around the place. We've got giveaways. We've got live auctions, silent auctions, and everything. And then during this event, we're going to be watching the Oregon State-Penn State game and the Miami-Florida game, and then there'll be tours that'll be taking people up to the press box, and you can bring your camera and take pictures under the goalposts at the Rose Bowl and go through the brand-new locker rooms in the Rose Bowl, $16 million they spent for these new locker rooms. Whoa. And, right, and you can all do this for $95 per person, which goes to a charity called Orlingua School for the Hearing Impaired. So it's a write-off, too, and it's an experience you can never buy. You can't do this unless you have this opportunity to go to something like this. And all, you don't need to call or get tickets. I don't want people to go through all that. Just come to the Rose Bowl, the South End, where the Rose is. Tailgating's going to start at 4. You can buy your tickets right at the door. Come down the ramp, the same ramp the buses take the teams down, and there'll be signs there saying this way, that way, and you come into the media room, buy your tickets. You get a VIP pass, just like a media guy person has, that you wear on your neck, which takes you around everywhere, guided tours, big buffet, watch football. It's going to be a lot of fun. Silent auctions, FC signed autograph balls, Pete Carroll, Mike Garrett, all of these types of things. So it's just something I wanted people to know about because a lot of people don't have this time or this experience or the opportunity to do this. So, so Ryan, I just wanted to thank you for letting me tell everybody about it. September the 6th in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. We call it our pregame at 4 and game times at 5. Wow, Coach, that sounds great. So anyone out there, $95, that's the ticket price, Coach? $95 All for right. the whole thing. Nice. Yep. 
That sounds great, yep. Coach. Well, hopefully everyone can go check that out. And uh, we'll get back into the show now. And we have a great show, like I said. We're going to talk to the coach, of course. We're going to talk all about USC and Virginia. We're also going to talk to Bruce Feldman of uh, ESPN the Magazine, ESPN.com. Also the author of Meat Market, great book on uh, uh, college recruiting. We're going to talk to him in the second segment all about what's going on in college football and USC jumping up to number one. And then we'll talk with Dan Weike, who was uh, at Virginia with, with me when we were out there covering the game. We're going to talk even more details about the USC-Virginia game. And next week, we're going to start previewing that Ohio State game. But, Coach, just wanted to get into the game. Overall, I don't know if anyone expected a 52-7 uh, to drubbing, but what, what did you think overall of the game? Well, first of all, I think for an opening game, uh, I thought it was a beautiful uh, performance by USC. Uh, I mean, uh, a big-name school. ACC opponent, uh, a cross-country representing your college, your Pac-10. The Pac-10, I thought, had a great weekend. On national television, uh, everyone was waiting to see just how Mark Sanchez could play with his injured knee and so on. Everyone's read about this tremendous defense. Uh, and I just thought it was a great performance by the, by the Trojans. I mean, there's always things you got to improve on. you got to remember that. But I think that the offensive line played well as far as the question mark. Now, how good Virginia's defensive line is, I'm not sure. I'm sure it's not as good as Ohio State's going to be, but they came out of it with a positive note, feeling. Mark Sanchez's performance uh, was, I thought, unbelievable for a first game. The way he runs the team, the way he uh, avoids the rush, he's got movement, uh, he scans the field as good as any quarterback I've seen in college football. One, two, three, four. He finds the open receiver, makes nice throws. Uh, he only forced one and had one interception, but that was that was a ball that was thrown a little bit behind McKnight that was tipped and intercepted. So you don't want any interceptions, uh, but uh, you do want turnovers, and the defense did create two turnovers, three fumbles, an intercepted pass, something that was lacking last year or the last couple of years. So they had some great turnovers. Uh, I thought the performance of Sanchez – in, in in the opening game, if I was going to vote for the Heisman Trophy, and they say we did a Heisman Trophy vote every week here on our show, I would give Mark Sanchez first place Heisman Trophy. I thought that Pat White had a great performance at West Virginia. Hill had a great performance at Wisconsin. But for a player playing in an opening starting game that didn't practice really in full-speed scrimmages, I thought he did a great job. I thought the play calling protected him, and I want to commend Steve Sarkeesian because they protected Mark the entire game by rolling him out deep, if you notice, uh, protecting his backside, a lot of play-action pass where he didn't get really hit. A uh, couple of negatives. I think we got to clean up the punt returns. Uh, we can't have those fumbles like McKnight. You know, McKnight's the big play guy. It's going to happen or it's not going to happen, but he's got to use – a little bit of better common sense as far as when you should fair catch and not. And uh, one thing I didn't like seeing, and I, I always give the, the negatives with the positives, when it was first down on the nine-yard line, when they were moving the ball down the field, they came out and uh, no remaining backs and threw the ball down there in the end zone. I thought they sort of still lined up and, and scored that. That's when they got the field goal. And, uh, and I think they got to work a little bit on tip passes. We had some balls knocked down at the, at the line of scrimmage. Otherwise, uh, I thought the Trojans played um, a tremendous game. They didn't look past Virginia. They have a week off. They came out of it with very few injuries, which is always positive. A lot of players got experience. I'm going to, when I go too long here, you just tell me. Oh now, no, Ryan. coach. Yeah, well, you know, one thing I was going to say about Mark Sanchez here is that he was just named the. Uh, National Player of the Week by Rivals.com, and he was the Pac-10 Offensive Player of the Week. And I mean, when you when you look at what he did, I mean, a lot of the other teams that are in the top five played, you know, very uh, lower levels of competition. When he goes on the road, Virginia has athletes. You know, are they going to be a super strong team this year? No, we're going to have to wait and see. They did win nine games last year. Uh, you know, they lost some players, of course. But you're playing a, a BCS conference foe on the road. No one really opened up like that, like USC did. I mean, you could say Tennessee uh, opened up, you know, at UCLA, and obviously they got burned doing that. But just to have what Mark Sanchez did on the road, and really his first start as the, you know, the starting quarterback, it, it was truly amazing. Well, yeah, other teams opened up and had convincing wins. Ohio State over Youngstown, or 
or you know, but 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 not against like you mentioned an opponent from the ACC, and not, and and they're not ranked to be a, the toughest team, but a very hostile environment down there, traveling and so on. So you got to give them credit for all of that. But going on, I really thought the receivers. I liked the rotation of the receivers. They kept it to four players. Now I'm not saying other players should be playing, but the players were able to get a feel. And also, Sanchez had a chance to know each receiver better by not rotating a lot of receivers in the game. Williams, Turner, Hazelton, I mean, they just did a great job. And then Johnson, with that long touchdown pass, the way he found him, avoided the rush and hit him, I think will really open up the offense. I also like the rotation of the tight ends. All the tight ends played. The young kid, Blake Ailes, played well. He at Number 89, Ellison played in there. McCoy played in there, so they got a lot of experience. And I also liked the rotation of the the backs uh, as far as how many played and how they were used. I, I just like everything in the defense. What can you say about the defense? I gave the offensive player the award on my Trojan Brunch show or our Trojan Brunch show on Sundays. I gave the offensive player of the week to Mark Sanchez and the defensive player of the week. You're probably going to wonder how and who, but Williams. I gave it to Matt Williams. I thought he was played a tremendous game. He forced two or three fumbles, recovered a fumble, had a sack, was all over the field. I think he had seven or eight tackles. I mean, just did a great job of uh, playing. It's hard to single out one individual on defense, but I thought Corey Harris covered his receivers like a blanket and man coverage. Uh, uh, so as an overall performance, I think that the team, of course, you got to have a saying, and I and I and I always say this every day in every way, you've got to get a little bit better and better in anything you do. Yeah, well, that yeah. just uh, Clay Matthews actually was the defensive player. I think you named who was you said, you, Clay Matthews. You said uh, Corey. What did I call him, Matt? I think you called him Williams or something, Matt Williams. Uh, what, what, it's Clay Matthews, right? <laughs> Clay Matthews, yes. Yeah, well, he's the guy. Yeah, yeah, he's the guy. Number forty-seven. That was his dad, I think. Well, uh, Clay. I'm thinking of a different era. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> no uh, problem, Coach. But he did. He did have a monster game, and uh, he addressed the media afterwards. Both him and Mark, and we put up video on uscfootball.com. You can check out uh, of their press conference. Mark had a fun thing to say about that touchdown pass you talked about to Ronald Johnson. He said he saw the safety flat-footed when he broke, you know, free from the protection, and uh, he knew that with Ronald Johnson running, there's no safety could ever keep up with him. That would be flat-footed there. So he just aired it out. He thought he threw it out of the back of the end zone. So he was a little worried, but Johnson caught up to it, and it was a, it was a great play. Yeah, they're all great plays. And I tell you, when you hit the home runs, and what I like, too, is later on, he hit Pat Turner on a short post route down there by the goal line. You can't cover that. You cannot cover that. He's 6'5", coming across the middle. He hit him perfect. So, you know, those are those are things that people have to work on. Those are things that open up. Your offense, Ohio State's got to work on all of those things because uh, they know you can do it. So I thought it was just a great opening game for USC. Yeah, it was funny. The uh, offense you could almost describe was kind of in short bursts where yeah, Mark Sanchez was there the whole time, of course, but they would put in a tailback uh, like C.J. Gable or Stephon Johnson. They would get a, a bunch of carries in a row, and they would kind of have a burst of output, and then they'd score a touchdown. And Patrick Turner didn't really didn't they didn't throw to him at all in the first half and then the second half another short burst they they hit him on a big play he breaks a tackle gets downfield uh make then you know a couple plays later they hit him for the touchdown so it's it's a lot of the receivers kind of seem to do that too just the offense whatever for whatever reason it just kind of worked in short bursts and they they got everyone in and i asked todd mcnair the uh, running back coach yesterday at practice i'm like is this I mean, is this really a way to keep everybody happy? Like, do they all have to score a touchdown every game to keep them happy? And you know, he was saying that they're, you know, I think people are pretty happy with their roles. You know, you know, did, you know I think they would all love to get 25 carries a game, uh, but they know there's so much talent around them, they can't do that. But you got a guy like an Allen Bradford who you can bring in the second half when the defense is a little tired and he starts running over people. I, I think it just works well the way they have the system going. I just think overall-wise, the rotation and everything was as good as I've seen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I've been critical of that rotation in the past where you'd use all those running backs, but it worked well, and you got to give Sarkeesian credit. I think they also opened it up more where they, they, they took chances down the field. Ronald Johnson dropped a 
touchdown pass, essentially a long touchdown pass in the end zone. I mean, he was covered, but a ball hit him in the hands and he dropped it. They didn't go away from it. They went back to him, you know, and they, I think that is going to open up other aspects of the offense. It's something we didn't see a whole lot of last year. They didn't get the ball down the field. And now, now that you're doing that, it, like you said, coach, it makes the defense defend a lot more. It certainly does. Now, let me ask you a question. Sure. You were down there in Virginia. Tell us about the atmosphere there compared to Arkansas or Auburn or Virginia Tech and those places. How do you, how was it at, uh, at Virginia and the ACC? I mean, what was the atmosphere like? Was it the, was it crazy? It was a pretty crazy atmosphere down there. And I, a lot of the people that I talked to, they said that this, this road trip rivaled the Arkansas road trip as far as the fan interaction where the Arkansas fans were com- completely classy and nice and, very friendly towards you know the visiting fans. I think they appreciated someone coming that far away. The same thing was at Virginia. It's a little bit smaller stadium, only about 60,000, but they had a record like 64,000 people there. A really neat feature is in one of the end zones. It's all grass. It's kind of like this grove back there, and people kind of file in, and, and there it's like standing room only uh, in the end zones. And those those they were kind of right next to the student section. Those people were going crazy. I, I stood in front of them uh, most of the time when I was on the field, and you could just – the energy was, was – it was just electric down there. I, obviously, it got the game got away. Uh, USC scored the first 21 points. The fans kept in it, and when Virginia bounced back and they scored that one touchdown, the place went crazy. So they really were excited, you know, when when the team scored a touchdown. But then it just kind of went downhill from there. That was the last real, you know, energetic moment in the stadium because USC started piling it on. But yeah, overall, I mean, it's just a. I think it was a great atmosphere. Uh, it's just a, it's a fun stadium to play in. It's not that big. But it was pretty loud down on the field. And it's just, I guess it was so hot, though, too. Like fans kind of, with the score and the fans being down by, you know, the Virginia being down by so many points, they kind of took the fans out of it in the second half. Well, I tell you what, it's exciting to watch on television. And, uh, Ryan, you're the best. You travel around everywhere. And sometimes uh, I have to ask you questions because I wasn't there <laughs> and I don't get that feeling, you know. And, I, and that's really important to me, uh, the feeling. Like uh, when the I went to the UCLA Tennessee game and I was down on the field there and I wanted to get on the Tennessee sideline because I wanted to really watch the Southeastern Conference work, watch the kids, listen to the coaches and so on and and then hear the enthusiasm of the crowd and so on and uh, as an old coach you like to hear what it's like in certain houses, you know. I remember when I took uh, our team when I coached at UNLV, we played back at Wisconsin in the fifth quarter and all of that experience and and, uh, and, and and these are the things that really, when you watch it on television, you don't get the experience, you know. And when we can share this with our listeners, I think it gives them something a little extra, you know. Definitely. I agree with you, Coach. And that, that kind of brings up a point I wanted to talk to you about. And this is something that, I mean, Pete Carroll's just done so well. And I, I think a lot of – we talked about this before, how he prepares this team in fall camp. So when they – get that first game, they obviously hit the ground running. We talked about that, that they would do that because of the way he prepares these guys, ones versus ones, everyone's hitting. Yes, you risk injury, but by the team, the time the team gets to game one, they are ready to go. And obviously, I mean, there was no doubt USC was not ready to go, just pounding Virginia. What factor is added? Like when you've, you've taken teams on the road far away, uh, what, how much does that add to the difficulty of a game? Just doesn't matter who you play, but if you have to take your team 2,500 miles and play somewhere over a short weekend where you're only gone maybe 48 hours or whatever it is, is that, I mean, what level of difficulty does that add to your, your game, no matter who the opponent is? Well, it really takes a lot out of you, or your energy traveling. It really does, and sleeping in a hotel for two different nights and, and st- trying to stay focused and so on. It, it's very difficult. It, it really is. I, I, we took a team to Clemson. Took a team to uh, uh, Wisconsin, and and if you don't get the crowd out of the game, which SC was able to do early, when they, in fact, they've been able to do that in all of their big games at Auburn and Arkansas and Virginia by getting after these people early. If you let somebody think that they can play with you, then you've got a problem. When they went to Nebraska, you know the people at Nebraska said, "Wow." What a great team. And all of a sudden, they're just sitting there watching SC play. And they forget they're, they're the home crowd. They're supposed to be cheering. So the number one thing you got to do is you got to get them out of the game early, the crowd out of the game early. And, and by playing down there at Virginia and giving that type of uh, show, putting that type of show on, that is why USC got the votes 
to be the number one team in the country. I'm not saying they are the number one or number ten or whatever. I'm just saying the national exposure to the different media and the different people and the people watching the game or listening to the game and playing Virginia and ACC team, uh, the conference being res- uh, respected as the Southeastern Conference, is great, but it's a very difficult thing to do. It's really hard. And now Ohio State coming out to USC. The, if the SC fans really get into it and are crazy, then that's going to make it difficult out on Ohio State team. No, I, I, but if they but if they sit back and watch the game and think it's a pro game going on, then it's going to be an equal feeling for Ohio State. You know what I mean? No, I agree with you, Coach. And I, I think that's why you know it's exactly why. USC was rewarded with that number one ranking. When you have the other two teams in the top three playing Division One AA schools, having less impressive victories over them and playing them at home, I mean, playing an ACC team on the road and then and absolutely throttling them, I mean, obviously that's way more impressive. And I think USC had some question marks coming in. And I, I you know, applaud the pollsters that they said, okay, you know, I didn't know about their offensive line. Looked good to me. They played on the road. Mark Sanchez was good. They are the number one team in the country. And I, I, I don't think there's a doubt about that. There's some people that voted on number four. I don't know how you could pick that would be ahead of USC at this point. But, you know, the polls don't mean a whole lot, but I think they were rewarded for playing the kind of games that they play, playing a Virginia on the road to open the season. Not a lot of those big schools that are in the top five, top ten are willing to do that. You know, when, when you said, how could someone vote on number four, I really believe that you should be able to, you have to put your vote down. I'd like to know who did vote him number four. I'd like to have him on one of my radio shows or have him on with us and have him justify to me how you can put SC number four. I really do, unless he's a homer for one of those schools, you know, that, that he wants to give votes to. But a guy like that, if you put him number four or whoever it is, shouldn't be doing the poll. Yeah, I, but, I'm just going to be honest with you because he's not doing it. He doesn't know football or whoever's doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, Coach, and if you look at... I uh, really mean that. No, I, and I mean that not to be... I'm being critical because I mean to be critical. For someone to put USC 4 after that performance should not be voting on a poll. Yeah, there's... Uh, Dan Wecky actually kind of addresses that a little bit, our beat writer. We'll talk to him later in the show, but he, he did that in his practice report from uh, Tuesday night. Uh, there was uh, several people that voted them for... That might have been a 5. I'll have to go back and look. And, and actually for five. the... 5... There's four California media uh, members that vote in the AP poll, and none of them had USC number one. I think there was a two and like a couple of fours, like a three and a couple of four. So Dan kind of talks about that. We'll talk about that a little bit with him. But yeah, Please Coach. Please try to find out. Please try to find <laughs> out. Because if they're at the FC game and I, and, you know, against Ohio State, I want to go talk to those guys. Yeah, that would be an interesting... You know me. I want to go address I would, them. I would love to hear that conversation, Coach. All right, no, well, I really would like to ask. I'd like to ask him, first of all, where they, where they played football, what level of football, how long have they been going to football games, have they ever evaluated talent before, have they ever broken down films, and how did you come to that opinion? Yeah, I, I would like to know those same kind of questions because I, I, it, it, I've seen that team. You know, you've seen this team a lot. I think sometimes you watch a certain team too much and you get... You might get overly critical where I've watched USC so long. It's just like, oh, you know, they're not as good as this or that. And you kind of forget the big picture sometime. Like, they're still probably better than anybody else. And then you yeah, see them play. Yeah. And they do. All right, but Coach. I'm, but believe me, I know you got to go with you got a lot of other things. But believe me, I'll be as critical as anybody. You've heard me. No, you definitely and, are. And, 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 and when it's time to be critical, you'll hear me. I'll be critical. But uh, for, for that, I can't believe. I just want to be able to shake the hands of those people, okay? <laughs> and say, welcome to the real world. Or, or what, where are you? What cloud are you floating around on? <laughs> great, Coach. All right, well, thanks. Always a great segment with you. And I just wanted to let people know, where can uh, now that the season's going on, where can the Trojan fans hear you on the radio? Oh, my. Well, I'm on the pregame show uh, on ESPN, two and a half hours before the game with uh, John Ireland and Steve Mason. And then on Sunday morning, we have a Trojan brunch show where we review the game, and that's on ESPN Radio from 8 to 10 p.m. with Mark Willard and Daryl Rideau. And uh, we have a lot of fun on that show, and, and we get into it. We, we say what, what we really feel. Sometimes uh, we're over-critical. Uh, sometimes we're right on. Uh, sometimes it's not that we're trying to not uh, – but we're not going to be homers. We're going to tell you the way it is. And uh, – 
And this is what I said this week. I said it the way it was. Uh, 99% of everything was positive for an opening game, and I hope that same type of improvement is there for Ohio State and Arizona State and the rest of them. But if there's a question there and there's a mistake that was made, I address that mistake because I think everyone else wants to know why did that happen. And I just give my simple opinion. It doesn't mean I'm right or wrong, but it's my opinion. So uh, I'd love to have people join us uh, uh, on ESPN two and a half hours before kickoff on all games at home or on the road, and again, uh, Sunday mornings at 8 to 10. And again, AM, that's AM. And I want to remind everybody about the VIP party we're having this weekend for $95 in the Rose Bowl, in the media room. We're calling it College Football Saturday, where you have a chance to, to come with your family, run around the Rose Bowl floor, go in the locker rooms, go in the media room, go in the press box, have a wonderful Burger Continental buffet, and... Uh, and have a wonderful day. And uh, a lot of people have never had that opportunity. All right, Coach. Well, thanks. We appreciate that. And uh, we will talk to you next week. We'll break down the USC-Ohio State matchup. But thanks again for joining us, Coach. Can't can't wait. And that event on Saturday starts at 4. Okay? Uh, all right. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks, buddy. Buckle up out there, okay? Yeah, and everyone stick around. We'll be back after this short break talking to ESPN's Bruce Feldman. The Parastyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. It is our second segment. We have a very special guest in this segment, ESPN.com and ESPN the Magazine's Bruce Feldman, also the author of Meat Market. Check it out if you want to hear about college recruiting. Bruce, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having me. No problem. Just wanted to take care of some business first. In this segment, we are sponsored by Tailgate Haven. That's tailgatehaven.com. I actually just signed up for that today. It takes about two minutes and registration's free, but it's a place where all tailgaters can get together, meet up, and kind of put all the information about their tailgates online. Obviously, we're starting the college football season, so tailgating is a big part of that. So check out tailgatehaven.com if you like to tailgate. Bruce, are you a big tailgater? I am. It's always a pleasure to be out at your tailgate, Ryan, where we get to see Gerard in his element as he's one of the celebrities of, yes. of uh, com land. And, and the food's good, and unfortunately, if you're working, you can't drink the beer, but everybody else seems to be able to. So, I, I mean, I, I definitely like it because, you know, it's not like we're out there in the cold weather or brave and bad elements. I think it's just you know, everybody's, in, everybody's in a pretty good mood. You guys have like four or five different games on. There's an odd char- cast of characters around. It's, it's fun. <laughs> It's definitely so a good time. That. Yeah, I, I think per, you know people talk about football weather being cold. Now I like sunny and seventy-five. That's perfect football weather for me. Yeah, the last thing, and and you know, if you're at a warm weather place where it's attractive women are floating around, it's good that people are just out there in their own element. I'll right. leave it at that. Yes, not so bad. All right, so Bruce, you are the college football expert. Uh, we just want to talk to you first. The first thing about USC jumping to number one in the rankings. So they jumped. One spot uh, in one poll, and then two spots in another poll. First, are you a big fan of preseason rankings? And then secondly, do you think that USC should be ranked number one? I'm not a big fan of rankings until probably the first month of the season because a lot of times people say, oh, well, we had somebody ranked third, and they didn't lose, and this other team was ranked 13th. And even though you know maybe they're a little better than we thought, well, we try to keep the, quote, integrity of, of what we had initially. And it's like, well, if you were wrong at the, at the beginning, why do you keep wanting to stay wrong? Just try to correct it. 
So I think that too much gets, you know, people read into, oh, this is, this is how many returning starters they have or, you know, who knows? I mean, look, I don't, people got all fired up about Georgia. I think a lot of it had to do with they, they killed a Hawaii team that probably shouldn't have been in a BCS bowl in the first place. And then they looked and said, okay, well, there's no Sean Moreno and people are really high on Matt Stafford on mock drafts or whatever that's worth. But then they lose their starting left goal the first game. They end up losing their best defensive lineman, Jeff Owens. And their schedule's really hard. And it's not like they have a track record of, of like, excelling when they've had expectations. I mean, they haven't won a national title in a very long time. So, and as far as Ohio State, I think that, you know, if Beanie Wells is even at 80%, that's a big drop-off. I mean, he's, he's by far their best weapon on offense. And so I think USC was really impressive. Granted, they didn't beat a team that, you know, is, is all that great. But at least it was on the road. And I think the thing that we knew their defense would be really good, I think Mark Sanchez and the offense was really sharp. And that was a reason why, why a lot of the voters, I think, got excited about them. Now, what do you think? The, I mean, you get a lot of email from fans. And when you talk about your blog, what's the buzz been out there, uh, especially in the SEC, I guess, where, you know, Georgia was jumped in uh, both polls. What's the buzz been out there about USC going to number one? Well, I think there's those there's a, a pool of SEC fans that I think are always going to be skeptical of USC, thinking, well, they don't play anybody in in their conference, and you know, yeah, okay, we'll give you SEC, they're a really good team, but nobody else in the in the Pac-10 in their eyes, because traditionally you don't see the year in and year out. You know, maybe Oregon's very good one year, and then the next year they're 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 not quite as good, and consistently there's not a team that's you know, a top 10 every year other than SC. I think that's their bias. But, you know, if you look at it, I mean, USC went to Auburn. They killed Arkansas. I mean, they could have scored 200 points in those two games. I think that they, you have to kind of give them their due if you're an SEC person even. And they're going to play Ohio State. And whether you think Ohio State's great or not, I mean, Ohio State's still, you know, a legitimate top team. And they're not playing non, you know, they're not playing one double A schools. They're not playing Northern Arizona. They're not playing some schools. So uh, I think that you have to at least respect them. But the but the people in the SEC are so bitter about how they perceive their conference. I mean, I think a lot of you're more likely to hear a Pac-10 fan say, "Yeah, SECs might be the best conference, but it's not as slam dunk every year as everyone wants to think. Their non-conference isn't that good." But when it comes to the SEC, there isn't there's not much of a give. I mean, I just don't think they want to budge on what the rest of the rest of the college football world is like. All right. Okay. So we talked about USC a little bit in the SEC. A couple of conferences that didn't do all that well. The Big East hasn't beat a uh, Division One A team or whatever they call it now, FBS or whatever, <laughs> whatever that is. And right. uh, the ACC also struggled. I mean, a Clemson was a top ten team. Got thumped by Alabama. Obviously, Virginia got thumped too. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two conferences? How they started off the season? I mean, I thought it was really dismal for the ACC. Almost, almost everything that could go wrong did. Obviously, Clemson, who was everyone was touting as the best team in the league, they looked like they quit in the uh, in the Georgia Dome against Alabama. I mean, when they were down three or six, and, and they looked like they were down thirty to nothing, and, and that was a, you know just a dreadful game. Virginia Tech lost to a team which is, which is pretty good, but still they lost. And then Frank Beamer reverses field and says now he's going to play Tyrod Taylor. That's a little bit of an embarrassing twist. And you had, you know, right down to like the embarrassment of the ball that was supposed to get delivered to North Carolina ends up getting delivered to Duke like, you know, eight miles away. Just like that's indicative of the kind of flop and, and, and uh, fraud that AC Super Bowl has been. But the only thing that went right for them was Wake Forest, you know, destroyed probably the worst team in the Big 12 on the road, Baylor. But other than that, it was there was nothing. And, you know, Miami plays at Florida this week. Miami's a three-touchdown underdog. I think if they, if they keep it within two touchdowns, I think that would be like a moral victory for Miami. And right now, there's not much else for the league to hang their hat on. And I don't think... You know, the, the Big Big East isn't much better. I mean, West Virginia beat Villanova, but, you know, West Virginia has to go to East Carolina. They lose that game. You can write off that whole league, too, because you're talking about Rutgers, you know, gets pretty much embarrassed at home against Fresno State. Pittsburgh, when people are getting tired about them, they lose to Bowling Green at home. 
it's Louisville, you know, was was disgraced at home by Kentucky. I mean, it's just an embarrassing league all all around. And West Virginia is the closest thing to have to respectable. Yeah, and I think there's only one ranked team in the ACC right now, Wake Forest. If if Eastern Carolina, I mean, if if they go out and beat West Virginia, I mean, why, I mean, that would just be devastating. It would, and I think that the thing that people need to keep in mind about these schools is. Let's say Clemson, which you know people touted three Heisman candidates in their backfield. If Clemson supposedly bounced back and gets on a roll, well, so what? You know they're going to play the Citadel. How good is the Citadel? They're going to play a bunch of ACC teams. That's not proving anything. And I think that you pretty much have made the made Clemson and the rest of the ACC irrelevant. And the only opportunity I think they have to kind of get back a little luster is if one of the Florida schools knocks off Florida, or if Wake Forest goes on this big roll, but Outside of that, it's just not there because there's there's not the opportunity in the non-conference games to take away some of the embarrassment, the humiliation they suffered already in the opening week. Yeah, I think with the Big East also only having eight teams, you need. I mean, you, you can't have four of those teams be abysmal. You know, I mean, the league's not going to be regarded as a powerful league if if more half or more than half of the teams in the league are really terrible. Yeah, I mean, there's a punch. There's a one long shot game that. I, you know, at least I'll throw out, is Cincinnati goes to Oklahoma. Cincinnati's, a, a, you know, a decent school. It's not great. But if somehow they pull a shocking upset, all right, then the Big East will, you know, at least bump up a little bit. I don't think – I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. At least there's a – you know, at least they're playing somebody who's really good on the road. All right, so let's go west a little bit. The uh, most exciting game, it's probably going to be more exciting than any of the Monday Night Football games ESPN's going to cover. They got a, a really good rating on this game, Tennessee at UCLA. It was only about a seven-point spread, and uh, UCLA kept it close, and they, they had that gutty little Bruin kind of thing going again, and they, they rallied around uh, Kraft, and they rallied around New Heisel, and Norm Chow looked like he was, uh, you know, he was been there for a while, not his first game there, and they came out and they got a win in that. I mean, how big was that for UCLA, and what did you think of the game? I think it was a huge win for Rick Neuheisel's program. I mean, I was out there at the Rose Bowl. It, was, it turned into like a whole surreal night because – you know, if you figure in that all the, it's a patchwork offensive line, they're playing their third-string quarterback, and then three of their best offensive players go down in the first quarter. On top of it, Kraft throws, you know, dreadful interceptions, not just bad interceptions, like just like giving them the ball four times, one's a pick six, and you're only down seven is amazing on it to itself. And then, you know, all the credit to Norm Chow and, and Neuheisel, for making some adjustments, settling Kraft down. I think Dwayne Walker did a good job. You know, it made Jonathan Crompton look very shaky in his second start, the Tennessee quarterback. They got they had the they had the big plays, they got in special teams and they they got Tennessee on the road. And and Tennessee, I mean I was down by their bench towards the end of the game and the look on the team was like, oh God, something bad is happened to happening to us, and we can't stop it. And that's really what happened. It almost looked like they knew once they were in a game, we're going to find a way to we're going to find a way to lose this. And I think that's a credit to you know the better coaching staff. I think won out. And I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you're probably embarrassed because you're like, oh my God, that's a game we penciled in a W, and now we're looking at a two and four start. Whereas if you're UCLA. Neuheisel turned that thing into a pep rally at the end of the night. They're letting off fireworks. The lights go off. He's leading chance. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where I think you say if, if UCLA becomes a top five program in two or three years or so, because there were a bunch of recruits around there and, you know, going on their sideline and everything, if you see that, I think people will remember back to this night as the night that it turned around. And I think it's a really good night for the Pac-10, too, because – you know, SEC had a great first weekend, and then all of a sudden, you know, UCLA smacks them. Uh, it's just, it was a fun night to be out there. Now, you mentioned coaching, and I think uh, if you you check the, the sites, if you go to, like, uh, VolQuest, which is the Tennessee rival site, there's a lot of coaching questions going on there, and there has been for a while. I mean, they're 10 years removed from their national championship. It To me, it looked like they could have been up, Tennessee could have been up 21 points in the first half easy. Uh, I mean, I, I think just running the ball and they could have wore out UCLA. I mean, obviously UCLA is a great defense, but I just don't think the depth of athletes that UCLA had was going to compare with Tennessee, especially, like you said, they lost three of their best offensive players. I mean, do, do you think they could point some fingers at the coaching staff of Tennessee that they really didn't manage that game very well? 
Yeah, I think they could. I mean, here's here's what happened, and and you know, talking to t- some of the Tennessee players after the game, they didn't have any answers, and basically. You know what it came down to the the transformation of Kevin Kraft from first quarter to first half to second half was he's looking basically going against the two deep zone and getting greedy and the coaching staff on UCLA just said look just go work the underneath stuff it's all there and they started taking it and he got into a rhythm and Tennessee never was able to adjust to it and you know then once that happened all of a sudden they put a lot of pressure on their own their own guys. You know, they had a fumble from Arian Foster. They had some costly, you know, penalties on the offensive line. They dropped some passes. Crompton was shaky. I mean, it just it looked like a team that wasn't all that well prepared, and they didn't make any really – they kind of got deer in the headlights once once you see they put some pressure on them. Yeah, and, and Kevin Kraft, I mean, you got to take your head off this kid. He went from looking like Ryan Leaf in the first half to Joe Montana in the second half. It looked like everything he threw up there – Guys were making plays, catching the ball, and they were moving the ball. And even when they got down, even when they, they let Tennessee score, he just marched right back down the field and put them back up again. I mean, you just got to take your hats off to, to him. I mean, he, he's got an interesting story, and just to be the third-string guy. And I, I don't know. I mean, he, he was trying to uh, – I think uh, Matt Stevens has the UCLA record for five interceptions in a game. And he was really close to it in the first half and then uh, turned it around. Man, Newhouse made an interesting point. Uh, I talked to him yesterday, and he said that you know, I told him at halftime, look, my first start, I threw four interceptions, too. And I turned out all right, and, you know, you'll throw it. And I think the thing that they kind of had going for him is, you know, this is Tom Kraft's son, the old San Diego State coach, who's a quarterback guy, quarterback coach guy. And, and this kid's been kind of groomed for this and worked into it. And I think that there was, you know, there was resiliency there that he wasn't going to panic, and they went to the stuff. I mean, Chow's really good at settling guys down, and he went to the stuff that he knew that that Kraft had the most confidence in, and those plays. And once he kind of let him get a rhythm, then it just took off, and then he had some guys pick him up. Some of the some of the other uh, you know some of the skill guys they have, and and as as patchwork as the offensive line was, they could not run the ball. They couldn't run the ball at all, but they only gave up one sack and. Tennessee, for whatever reason, didn't blitz them. I mean, they just sat back and kind of let that happen. I mean, they blitzed a little bit, but nowhere near a lot. And, um, you know, you kind of, like I said, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm kind of scratching my head going, what were we thinking here? I mean, it, like, it didn't look like we were we were in the game paying attention or, or we just kind of letting this happen. And, and that's unfortunate if you're, if you're a Vol. Yeah, all right. Well, one last one for you, Bruce, and we'll let you go. Um, not a huge slate of... Uh college games this weekend of big name games at least it looks like it's a big nfl weekend with the opening weekend but uh, the one you already mentioned uh, miami and florida three point uh, three touchdown underdog i mean you know a lot about the miami program do you think it can be a lot closer than that do you think miami has the athletes to stay with florida miami has some athletes they're young the thing that would you know scare me is you're talking about their starting quarterback robert marv has never played in the college game he didn't play in the opener he, he redshirted last year uh, he's definitely going to, I think he's going to be a really good player as is Ja'Cory Harris, the other, the other guy who did start the opener. They have some, I mean, everyone knows Florida has speed. Miami has speed too. I mean, they have a lot of speed on, uh, at receiver. They have a bunch of speed on their, especially in their front seven. But I think the thing they have to worry about is last year they went to Oklahoma and hung with Oklahoma for the first half. And then they, you know, they didn't respond too well to a couple of plays. A couple of things didn't go their way. And then all of a sudden it was a snowball's effect, and they got blown out of there. Florida has the potential to do that to Miami, and I think if Miami can keep their composure and they get some big plays, because Florida's defense isn't, you know, it's still got a lot to prove. They were terrible last year, and maybe the the young guys will get better. But if Miami starts hitting some big plays on them, and I think they, you know, they they can definitely do that. I think they can keep it interesting. But at some point, I feel like in the maybe it's going to be in the third quarter. Miami will give up a couple of big plays, or, or you know, they'll have a couple of blown, busted assignments, and then I think Florida's going to end up winning something like forty-five, twenty-one, or something like that. All right. Well, College Game Day will be there. We'll check it out. Bruce Feldman, thank you so much for joining us. Let people know where can they uh, they find that excellent book, Meat Market. Uh, they can just go to Amazon.com and search for it, or they can come out to the. Uh, to the L.A. Coliseum the day of the uh, Ohio State game, and I'll be signing near the uh, ESPN radio setup uh, from noon to 2. All right. You can 
Meet Bruce Feldman. Get your book signed. Meet Market is an excellent book. If you like recruiting, definitely check it out. He'll be signing there from 12 to 2 on September 13th, the day of the Ohio State, Ohio State game. Bruce, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Stay tuned. we got one quick break, and then we're going to come back with uh, USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weike. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. All right, Trojan fans, we are back for our third and final segment of the Peristyle Podcast. And as promised, we have uscfootball.com beat writer and a favorite here on the Peristyle Podcast, Dan Wykey. Dan, what's up, buddy? It's uh, it's good to be batting behind Bruce Feldman here. It's like you threw him all strikes because you were afraid to pitch to me. After yeah. him. You know, you got protected, protected in the lineup. Okay, uh, sure, I think that might work. But anyway, Dan, we want to talk to you a little bit about the game. <laughs> you traveled back uh, east of Charlottesville. Uh, just, first, first of all, your overall thoughts on the uh, victory for USC. Oh, I mean, it was it was a great trip if you're a Trojan fan. I mean, you got to see a, a really kind of unique stadium, I thought. Um, you know, the, the crowd was a record crowd for them, um, which, you know, was a great atmosphere. And then you got to see USC just kind of kick the pants off of them um, for, you know, for uh, an hour, for 60 minutes. It was, I mean, it was an incredibly one-sided game. Um, you know, five running backs score. Mark Sanchez looks like, you know, a Heisman candidate all of a sudden. I mean, it was, it was really pretty remarkable, the offensive, the offensive uh, turnaround. I mean, it, it was something where, you know, you look at players, players on their, on their own team are saying things like, you know, you know, I was nervous about the offense and what the what, what the offense could do, and then you know, sure enough, you know that, that offense scores 52 points, and it kind of felt like, and I don't know if you got fresh and you were there too, felt like they could have scored more, really. Yeah, I think they left some okay. points on the table if they really kind of wanted to. It, was it surprising to you at all? Just because when we saw even some of the scrimmages, that last scrimmage where they went basically first and second team against the service team. They weren't putting up 52 points on the USC service team defense, and they just they looked like everything came together at the right time for the offense. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the credit goes to Mark, um, you know, and just that offense's pace and, and just how much faster they are with him, you know, taking snaps. I mean, obviously, he knows the playbook so much better than Mitch Mustaine or Aaron Corp. I mean, it, it's it's painfully obvious the difference between those two guys. You know, both of those guys may end up being better quarterbacks than Mark, but, I mean, as far as today goes, he is just a, a much better quarterback for this team right now because he knows the system. I mean, he knows Sark's system. He, he's able, you know, he's been here for four years. He's experienced, and that experience allows that offense to do things that, that it can't do when Aaron Corp or Mitch Mustaine are doing that. And then on top of that, the other thing, too, is really um, just the vertical threat was, was there, and that's something that this offense has lacked the past few seasons, but just the ability to go down the field and stretch the field. And I mean, we both know how much that opens up everything else. I mean, the way that opens up the run game, the way that opens up the intermediate passing game. I mean, it's, it's really remarkable. You complete a couple, you prove that you're a threat down the field and, and all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier to move the ball. Yeah. Just, it's like, you have to have that threat there. You have to, the capabilities to do that. Otherwise the teams won't respect mm-hmm. it. Uh, heading into the game. I think every time I talked on the radio and every time you know we talked on the podcast and any time we talked about this game, I think the focus was always on the defense and the defense is you know the defense played lights out hardly even gets mentioned just because the offense did so well. I mean, what what were your overall thoughts on the defense? Um, you know, I, obviously, I think they, I think they played great. Um, there were there were some things that I think stood out where I mean, if there if you were going to pick a group, I guess to criticize at all in that game. I mean, you can look at the defense, and, and you can see things that they need to do better. Um, I thought they did a, a fairly good job rushing the passer, but, I mean, obviously I think they'd like to have more than one sack, um, or, or two sacks, I'm sorry. And uh, was it one or two? 
I, I don't know. They, they were they were in the backfield, and and they just really, um, you know, there were things that I thought that they could do more. I'm sorry, it, it was two sacks. Um, there were things that they could have done more with the quarterback. I think to pressure the quarterback more. I think um, you look at the play of the, the the end specifically. I mean, Everson Griffin and Kyle Moore. I think I expected those guys to be in the backfield more often. You know, making things more difficult. Obviously, I think that you know the one interception is, is surprising in that you know Peter Lally could have been picked three or four times. I mean, Kevin Ellison had two shots at him in the first quarter. Yeah, Ellison you had know, has uh, hands on two balls that looked like they either one of them could have easily been picked off. He, I don't think he was happy about that. And Taylor Mays had his hands on a ball, but that ended up being the ball that Kevin Thomas picked off. So yeah, the, but you know, for the secondary, I think they did step up and play a little better. But the turnover thing is a good is an interesting point because they got a bunch of those turnovers late, like late fumbles when the game was already out of hand. I mean, a couple more of those early in the game, and you put it away even quicker. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's 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 funny talking about this because, I mean, I definitely feel like we're nitpicking. But, I mean, I think that's what you have to do after a game like this. I mean, what's what's the point of coming back after a 52-7 win and being like, oh, we did everything great? I mean, you, you especially when you got Ohio State coming in two weeks. I mean, they're going to find things to work on and, and, and things to improve. And I think one of the things that they're definitely going to spend more time on is I, is I think they want to force more turnovers. And I do think they want that the way to do that is by pressure from the quarterback. And I think you'll look at that. You'll see that happen some more. You know, the uh, linebackers I thought was good. Um, I thought Kaluka Maiava had a great game. Um, like, I was very impressed with Kaluka. I thought, you know, he had – Six tackles, and I want, he made them count. You know, he had probably the two, three biggest hits of the of the day, um, where he was just, you know, he was just exploding at the ball. And, and I mean, Clay Matthews had a, had a great game. Um, the defense really, I thought, you know, I mean, they just did what they were supposed to, and you know, they hold the team. You hold the team to seven points on a drive, you know, where really USC gave them four, over forty yards in penalties. I mean, it, it was pretty remarkable, I guess, just the, the total dominance. I don't think – I thought they'd win. I, I didn't think they'd win like that. Yeah, i got to give you props for uh, mentioning Kaluka because, yeah, Clay Matthews was the kind of guy they brought into the uh, press conference afterwards. He forced a couple fumbles, had a sack, recovered a fumble. I mean, he also, he played great, obviously. But Kaluka, hmm. to me, I mean, I thought he was – you know, save Matthews. I think Kaluka was the MVP. And it, it's part of the system. Like, this isn't a defensive system where you're going to get – you know, a couple of guys that have 120 tackles. That's just not the way Pete Carroll systems kind of work. But the one position, I think, you got that weak side linebacker. They just seem to be able to play in a little bit more space than some of the other guys. And, and get. I think they'll get a lot of tackles. I think Kaluka could lead the team in tackles this year when you see it. I think you saw, you know, I think he led the team. We had six, right? I think he led the team this week as yeah, well. He was one of, one of three guys with six. You know, I think if you, if you were talking prop bets about this USC team, I think that'd be an interesting one would be, you know, who's going to lead the team in tackles. Obviously, I think Kaluka, um, you know, would probably go off at higher odds than Kush or Ray, even Taylor Mays. And in reality, he made the best shot at, you know, getting close to, you know, 80, 90 tackles. Yeah, that, I mean, it's not really, you don't usually see that in this kind of defense, like I said. So that, that'll be interesting to see. And then uh, the one, one position on the line that had the first time starter, uh, Avril Spicer. So there was, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit. I've really just, uh, <laughs> You know, before practices and stuff, we're looking at the, the lineup and saying, you know, people talk about the inexperience USC had on offense and someone on defense, but really both sides of the ball, one starter, first time starter for each side of the ball. So Averill Spicer was that he made his first start in the game uh, at nose guard and then Anthony McCoy, who had a couple good catches, made his first start of the game on the offensive side of the ball. But really all the other guys, all the 20 other guys on the field and and all the kickers and returners and stuff have already started games before. Yeah, that was to go back to something that Bruce said. I, I think that that that's why returning starters is overrated. You know what I mean? Because you look at the the returning starters on the offense, and it doesn't represent the fact that Zach Hamber is starting games and that Bush Lewis started games. You know, it, it just doesn't show that, and it, and it doesn't show that you know certain receivers you know and maybe have gotten starts and and all of that stuff and. And when you look at when you look at defense, you know, I mean, I thought Spicer played very well. Um, those guys did a really good job in the middle. Um, I mean, Virginia running the ball through the interior of the line, which is not existent. I mean, after a while, they just stopped trying, which is, I mean, really a testament to the defensive tackles. You know, you look at 
the, the I guess the tackle list and you see that, you know, Feely and Avril Spicer combined for any guesses on how many tackles those two? Uh no idea. None. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they both played well. I mean, you, you know, they, they just, I mean, they dictate what the offense can do. And that was the thing that I think Virginia didn't want to happen was they didn't want the USC defense to kind of tell them what they could and couldn't do. And, and really, I mean, that's what USC did. I mean, it was one of the things that P.K. said that I thought was a little presumptuous going into game week was that, you know, we're not going to let them, we're not going to let them dictate what we do on defense. And I've always thought that defense is being a lot more reactionary but, I mean, in this case, it, it was, I mean, they asserted themselves. They did the things they wanted to do. After they got that lead, they just started blitzing. And the cornerbacks made very good plays in coverage. I thought Kerry Harris did a very good job in one-on-one coverage. Um, I can think on at least two specific occasions where Virginia tried to go deep one-on-one against Kerry Harris, and neither ball was completed with two just, I mean, spectacular plays on defense. And, and, I, and I thought that he did a very good job. I thought Sharice Wright played well. I mean, Kevin Thomas. Josh Pinkert made a, made a couple of nice plays. I mean, they're just so strong in the secondary right now with so much depth that they're in a the unique position where they can say, this is what we're doing on defense. You try and figure out a way to beat it. Right. All right. And then, uh, obviously, there's a huge game coming up in uh, two weeks, Ohio State. We're going to talk a lot about that next week when you have you on the program. But I wanted to touch on, on the last point here. I wanted to touch on your piece from yesterday, your practice report the uh, USC jumping the number one rankings. We, I talked a little bit about this with uh, Harvey Hyde. He was kind of uh, infuriated when I mentioned to him that you know, people had voted USC, AP voter, voters had voted USC number four. And in fact, you told me that there was four California AP writers and none of them even voted USC number one. Yeah, no, three, <laughs> three of them had him lower than number two. Um, you know, I think if I, if I want to speak from a journalistic standpoint here, I think a lot of that goes, it speaks to how you don't want to be perceived as a homer. Um, and, and there's a fear about per- being perceived that way. Um, personally, I don't know how you watched that game and think that they're the fourth or the fifth best team in the country. Um, but, I mean, this all goes back to the point of what, I mean, what rank, what are you ranking? Are you ranking who's the best team today? Who's going to be the best team all year? I mean, it, it, there's, there's really no at least not that I'm aware of set guidelines as to, you know what I mean, how people vote. And, and, you know, that's why people vote in so many different directions. I mean, I was telling you, I was looking at a website, and, and you know, I saw somebody who had Alabama as high as two, you know. And, and, and they're, I mean, they're a team that's in the top, most people's top 15, but, I mean, to have them as high as two, and there's just such um, such disparity, I guess, between between the way people think and reporters from different regions and stuff like that. Um, you know, talking to some of the other reporters, they said that it, that's pretty typical. There's nothing surprising about the fact that the California media has USC lower um, because of that, the idea that, you know, they don't want to be perceived as, as homers or, or, you know, maybe they think there are better teams out there. Um, talking to the players about it, you know, they're, they're, it's weird. You know, they they all say they don't care. But at the same time, I mean, you know, Carol spends a few minutes talking about it and, you know, it, it wasn't hard to get players to talk about it for extended periods of time. So it was kind of like, you know, I mean, it, it, it was kind of mixed messages. Yeah, maybe they didn't care, but I mean, obviously, you know, they'd rather be number one than number three or number one than number five. I mean, if you're number one and you do what you're supposed to, you're probably going to stay there. Right. Yeah, right. I, I think this team is used to having a bullseye on their back. That's nothing new to them. It's not oh, my God, you know, we're number one. I don't think you're going to get any of that kind of reaction. No one was really giddy when that came through. I don't. I think they know that, I mean, even if they weren't put number one after the Virginia win, they know if they beat Ohio State, they would probably be number one. At least would be would be number two, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I just kind of take it from there. You have to beat Ohio State to, to stay there. And if you, you weren't there, you'd probably be there after you beat Ohio State. So I don't think the players really put that much stock into it. You know, it was, it was, it was interesting. Um, I was talking to CJ Gable about it, and CJ was like, you know, he, he didn't even know about the vote until he got into a team meeting and, and Coach Carroll brought it up. And, you know, I think CJ said something that was telling to me. He said that, you know, um, he's like, you know, obviously after the stock, it doesn't matter what, you know, what anybody else thinks type of a answer. He's like, you know, we already think we're the best team. You know, we think we think we're better than everybody else already. 
So, I mean, in a way, it kind of validates what, what they think. I mean, this isn't, you know, UAB thinking that they're the best team in the country, you know. I mean, because I'm sure every team thinks that they're going to go undefeated until they lose. Um, I mean, but this is a team that has a realistic shot to do it. This is a team that has now been validated, I suppose, after only a week with just a dominant performance. And I think really the, the important thing is is to not feel like what they did at Virginia was perfection, and, and they, especially with two weeks. You know, I think they need to take this week and work on some things, iron out some kinks from that Virginia game plan, things that they did that they probably wanted to do better. And then obviously then you got to prepare for a very tough Ohio State team that, you know, it, it, it looks like could be with beating Hulls. All right. Well, USC, number one in the AP, number one in the coaches, number one in the C.J. Gable poll. That's good to know. Dan Weike, <laughs> thank you for your contributions. Thanks for joining us and uh, sharing your thoughts on the Trojans. Always a pleasure, Ryan. All right. Thanks, everyone. This is uh, That's our episode of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week talking more Trojan football. We'll preview that Ohio State game, so stay tuned. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.